From the Church Pension Group, this is Choose Well. Hi, my name is Krishna Dalakia, and this is Choose Well, the podcast that focuses on well-being, from maintaining physical and psychological health to being financially secure. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, food. Our food choices can bring balance and harmony to the health of our bodies, mind, and spirit. Our relationship with food can also bring us joy, but can also be challenging at times. Eating healthy and watching portions in a sustainable, healthy way often has a positive impact on weight and how we feel. But on the other hand, being overly restrictive, lacking sound nutrition education, and looking for quick weight loss may lead to an unhealthy relationship with food and self-care centered around fear. A lot of the messages we may hear around food, health, and weight loss can be influenced by diet culture. So where do you start if you're looking to take steps to improve your health and nutrition in a realistic, sustainable way? In the next two episodes, my guests Stacy Leong and Martha Tatarnik will help me unravel this question. We'll discuss how forming a harmonious relationship with food is often necessary for understanding our habits centered around self-care. We'll also share information about where to find help and who to work with when you're ready to make some of these healthy changes. Additionally, we'll spend some time talking about how to reframe the way we look at food, our bodies, and self-care from a less restrictive way that is more joyful and compassionate. Our guest today is Martha Tatarnik. Martha is an Anglican priest serving in a busy downtown parish in Niagara, Ontario. She is the author of The Living Diet, A Christian Journey to Joyful Eating, and writes a regular blog for the Anglican Church of Canada. She and I will be talking about the complex relationship we can have with food and self-care, and the joy that can come out of it. Martha shares about the difficult relationship she once had with food and her body. I come as a person who has skin in the game. I spent far too long struggling with a distorted relationship with food and with my body. I framed my eating choices around feelings of guilt, shame, disappointment, and I really bought into that all too familiar narrative of seeing health, wellness, beauty, and success as bound up in having a particular kind of body. And that led me to define my body and myself as fundamentally inadequate. I've also experienced healing in how I understand my body and how I understand food. That's become a story and a way of life that I am very committed to sharing. Welcome, Martha. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Krishna. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Yes, me too. And when I learned about your book, I got really excited um, because aside from being the senior health education specialist at CPG, I'm also a registered dietitian and a diabetes educator. And I've had 
uh, many years of experience working in the wellness and the nutrition world. And whenever I hear people that are working or in positions that share messages of food that are healthy and balanced and are focused around joy, it makes me really happy and excited because I think that you can agree with me. The messages that we often hear from our society and culture are related to messages of restriction and limiting things that you love in order to look a certain way or to feel a certain way, which is what I feel diet culture promotes a lot in our society. Mm -hmm. A lot of restrictive messages, a lot of messages around having to look a certain way or what the standard of health and beauty is. And, you know, as a dietitian, the one thing I say to my clients often is, you know, one size does not fit all and that you could be healthy at any size. And, And then that's why I really love like what the work that you're doing and the messages that you are are sharing to the world and your community because it's focused around developing a healthier relationship with your body, developing a healthier relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And that gets me really, really excited. I felt excited to be invited for that exact same reason, feeling that there's a sense of uh, a kindred spirit in terms of how we look at food in our bodies and uh, a challenge to those messages that we hear far too often. Yeah, and I think those messages that we hear can form a, you know, a scarcity mindset around food, around not being enough, around what is it is to be worthy. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. We're going to talk about forming a more healthier and balanced relationship with food and our bodies and also understanding why we do what we do, right? And forming better messages and self-talk. Mm-hmm. So I want to just get into it, you know, about your book, The Living Diet, and what motivated you to write the book? Well, my motivation comes exactly from that place of inadequacy in my body and guilt about the food that I put into my body that I named at the beginning of our conversation, because this eventually led me to an eating disorder. I was convinced that if I could just control my relationship with food and successfully lose weight and look the way that I thought I was supposed to look, then I could fix everything else that wasn't working about my life too. Eating disorders are rarely just about looking a certain way, and even when on the surface it seems to be about appearance, it's inevitably connected to a much bigger emotional, mental, and spiritual picture. The thing is, is that when I was at my sickest, the messages that I received from friends, family, media, from the world around me, all of those messages only really encouraged my distortion, and my disorder. And that's the other thing about eating disorders is that they really aren't just about the individual because we're all bombarded by and to some extent participate in these messages all around us telling us that our bodies aren't good enough, delivering to us all of these very mixed and very constant messages about which eating choices we should be making in order to unlock this healthy and slim body that we think we're supposed to have. 
what is is very significant that I hear you saying that I want to highlight again that is that oftentimes eating disorders are not just related to the person, the individual person. They're oftentimes very influenced by family, society, and media. And another word for influence is encourage, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that when you are working to understand your relationship with food and self-care in your body, it's so important to ask yourself, where do my beliefs and messages around food, self-care, and my body come from, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that is a lot of self-work. That's a lot of sitting with yourself to uncover, uncover the answers, right? And, but once you understand why you do what you do and the beliefs that you have and where they come from, they can help with the movement towards forming a better relationship with self-care and food and your body. Mm-hmm. And so this is all a process, right? And it sounds like for you, it, it was a journey, a journey, and it just didn't happen in a week. For sure, for sure. And I want to also highlight that, you know, we're not specifically talking about eating disorders today, but there are, there are a lot of us work, walking around with um, these expectations that we have for ourselves on what is thin, what is healthy, what is beautiful, what is it, what it is to be young, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of this work is becomes really successful when you're working with many people that can help you, like a therapist, right. like a registered dietitian, um, a nutritionist, a team that can help you uncover why you're doing what you're doing and give you strategies towards getting to a more balanced and accepting place. So I wanted to ask you, what are some ways that were helpful for you to disconnect to some of those unhealthy messages you're receiving? Well, for me, disconnecting from the unhealthy messages has really become possible by learning to embrace a different message. And this might sound a little bit strange, but the different message for me has been, this isn't just about me. Um, That might sound like a strange starting place when we're talking about our relationship to food and our bodies. But let me just explain for a moment, because I think when we look at how we're encouraged to view our relationship with food and with how we look, what we are also being asked to do is to focus relentlessly on ourselves. So we're just like bombarded with this focus on what do I need? What do I desire? How am I perceived? How am I falling short? I'm taught by the fast food and junk food industry to give in to my cravings. I'm taught by the diet industry to manage my food intake by a relentless focus on the breakdown of carbs, calories, protein, sugars that I'm consuming. I'm taught by the beauty industry that I need improvement. And I'm encouraged to be on this nonstop seesaw back and forth between I deserve it and also I'm not good enough. But that truer story is there to be uncovered. And the truer story is that food is relationship. The truer story is that 
our selves and our bodies don't live in isolation. We live in relationship. And every time that I put food in my mouth, I'm actually cementing that relationship. Every time I eat, I'm ingesting life from outside of myself so that I can live. My body is connected biologically to the earth, to water, air, to other bodies on this planet. That's not a spiritual message necessarily. That's just the, the physical reality of life in this universe. The basic truth of that relationship, of that connection, for me has been critical in being able to unmask and disarm those other messages for what they are. That my body or that I am just an isolated, lonely bundle of cravings and shortcomings and shame and guilt and unworthiness that that relentless message just isn't true. That's beautiful. And what you say reminds me of um, some other guests that we had on the podcast recently. Forrest Kutch, who talks about this term, all my relations, which is not just limited to our human community, right? It's um, expansive to nature around us. And that when a part of nature is struggling, that is a part of our family and we yeah. feel it too. Yeah. And, and what you said so beautifully kind of just made me think about like when, when we look at food and how food is life-giving, right? Like it, it sustains us. And where does it come from? Who helped cultivate the food? What acts in nature had to happen for it to, for food to grow, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful relationship. And when we sit down and think about it, it can be, um, it can be a, a spiritual practice mm -hmm. and, um, and not something to be taken for granted from what I hear you say. I think that, um, you know, that physical relationship needs to be named. Um, but my faith has been a really big part of helping me to, to claim that different message. Um, I find it really interesting that in all of the struggles that I had with food and with my body, I never heard my Christian faith speak into that disorder in any sort of meaningful way. I had, if I had any thought about how God might view my body, I assumed that God would prefer if I were thinner too. And, you know, there are books and resources out there that use faith as a sort of dieting tool, um, encouraging us to learn to honor the temple that is our body by, as, as you said, kind of restricting what we put into it. Um, faith as a, a way of praying rather than eating chips. Um, and yet, like food was central to the ministry of Jesus. And it was central to the ministry of Jesus because it was central to his Jewish faith. Um, if we look at scripture, we see the manna in the wilderness. We see the, the meal at the time of Passover. We see the visions of Isaiah who saw God's kingdom as a mountaintop banquet. 
And through all of those stories, we see food as a sign of God's love meeting us right here, right in the thick of pain and sorrow and confusion and uncertainty. We see Jesus eating with sinners and outcasts in order to dismantle the boundaries we put up between us. We see Jesus feeding thousands with a few loaves and fish in order to reveal to us a world where there's enough for everyone. We see Jesus eating with his friends on his final night, the Last Supper, and speaking back against all of those messages of fear and anger and hatred that want to gain the upper hand. And in the resurrection, we see Jesus, he just keeps showing up in time to eat. And all of those resurrection meals are a glimpse of what God's life looks like here on earth. So I think in all of those really rich stories from our tradition, we have this opportunity to reframe our relationship with food away from that relentless individualism to community and to a shared journey and to hope and new life. God's desire that we know joy and like maybe that joy and eating could go together. What you say really like talks about the abundance that food can bring us, right? In so many dimensions in our life and also how it connects us. It can connect us with our community, with our family, with with our spirituality and also with things like social justice which mm-hmm. is what we are experiencing in the world today. Um, and, and I think that that is not a, a light thing. That's a pretty big thing. Um, yeah. But, but moving, moving, moving from this topic of um, how food can connect us, going back to what you said about this, this constant messaging around individualism that we're, we're hearing, it's like, many arrows being thrown at us to improve ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, this constant messaging. Um, and I think that, you know, from, from a personal perspective, social media plays a big part in this, right? And the, the messages that we receive on a daily basis, whether that's the news, whether that's social media, whether that's messages from people around us, um, can play a big part in why we're doing what we're doing. And it can be exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about the exhaustion of holding it all, right? Holding the expectations of others and then most importantly, holding the expectations you put on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Those feelings of not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, not feeling that your actions are something to be proud of, right? The act of, the sacred act of eating mm-hmm. um, can be turned into is something that's negative. Yeah. Something that I often hear as a dietitian for my clients is, you know, I'm going to skip a meal because I didn't exercise today. <laughs> or yeah. I'm going to over-exercise because I had the cookie. And... Um, and what is that building, right? What kind of relationship is that building with food, with exercise? You know, it's almost a punishing behavior. And going back to what you said, you know, how you beautifully talked about food and abundance and joy, 
when we when we engage in these thoughts and these actions, we are moving away from developing that kind of relationship with with food and self-care, a relationship centered around abundance and joy and healing, right? We're moving towards seeing food as a bad thing. We're moving towards seeing exercise as a way to um, get us somewhere instead of a thing that we do because it brings us joy. It brings our body joy to, jo- body's joy to move. Like, how did your life change when you were able to adopt um, a more holistic message with food and self-care. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as I said before, like when I was trapped in that distorted mindset, I didn't even understand that I was sick until I had this experience that contrasted with that. And the the contrast is really, for me, about freedom. Um, it's, it's about being able to accept and value and give thanks for what is rather than being constantly trapped by, um, by disappointment with what I think should be. And, you know, that went for how I felt about my body wishing that my body were different and it went for my food choices always feeling like my food choices didn't measure up either and so you know you're so caught up in what you wish was different or think should be different or hope can be different tomorrow and you're missing the moment of what Mm -hmm. is which is like I am in this body today that is a blessing to me and through this body I am able to eat and through this food I am able to connect I I work with people and and have these intuitive eating courses that really focus on on building trust with your body building trust Mm -hmm. with food and it's so amazing just hearing what you said, but also seeing it in people, the transformation, right? From when someone is moving from a restrictive way of living with food and self-care and moving towards an accepting way, right? A, a way that's really honoring and trusting the body, honoring when you're hungry. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're not hungry, you don't eat. When you eat something, you appreciate it, like you just said. And you don't, you, you know, you try not to feel guilty about it. And I say try because that's a journey for us all, right? Because yeah. a very common thing I hear is that there is, there's a lot of guilt around food, you know, um, a lot of guilt around also movement, like I said, if you don't move or exercise. A lot of this is understanding our behaviors and where these messages come from. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the the time that we're living in right now, the pandemic has exposed so much of these struggles that we have related to food and self-care. When mm-hmm. we look at the habits and coping mechanisms we lean on when we're experiencing stress or discomfort, emotional eating is a very common one. A, a very common one that I've heard as a registered dietitian that I've also experienced in my own life as a human being. You know, it's been a really tough time. 
And um, if you are, if you're listening to this and you're kind of nodding with me, and if you have been using food as a coping mechanism, it's, it's okay. You know, sometimes that happens. Um, we can use, we can find in, in imbalances with food and self-care. And I think that uh, part of, of changing that is kind of just pausing, right, and asking yourself, how has my relationship with food been currently? And so part of like the emotions that we tap into when we use food as a coping mechanism, stress is a really big one, right? Stress, boredom, sedation, right? Like after a long day, a lot of people do this. They'll sit on the couch with their treat, whatever it is, and just treat out watching their favorite show. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of like leads to this unconscious way or, or a way of eating that is purposeful, right? It's, it's there to turn the mind off from a busy, long day. So a lot of our behaviors are clustered around other behaviors. For example, eating may be associated with looking at a screen, right? Like a lot of people might be eating during their lunch break and working at the same time or very commonly eating in front of the TV, um, eating with their favorite show. And so those cluster habits are, are very influential in terms of why we're doing what we're doing in terms of our self-care behavior. Mm-hmm. So part of uncovering that is to ask yourself, like, what are my the habits that associate with other things, right? Like what does what role does my screen have in relationship with food? What role does TV have in relationship with eating? What role does like having family over have with the way my eating changes or if I'm in an uncomfortable situation? And so uncovering our habits can really help us take a pause and and come back, come back to okay, how do I feel about this relationship? Is this something that I want to keep? Or is it something that I think maybe should shift into something that will be more a healthier, more balanced, more gratitude-filled way of being with my food and my Mm self-care? What has your experience been with that? And during the pandemic, what are some things that you have seen with yourself and with others? Someone shared just a, an astonishing anecdote with me uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And this came out of our uh, local youth mental health center here in Niagara from one of the counselors there who said that eating disorders in children, so we're not even like talking about teenagers or young adults, but in children, eating disorders in children like 8, 9, 10 years old has quadrupled during the pandemic. Mm. So we know like mental health issues have either been exacerbated or have um, been uncovered by the pandemic, but like, that's not even talking about depression or anxiety or anything. That's like eating disorders alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that just like speaks to so many of the things that you just named in terms of the, the ways in which food is, con- is connected to so many other aspects of our lives and relationships and habits, how emotional eating is, and, and how much, like, when 
those relationships and habits get disrupted, we can turn to food and and use our eating habits as kind of a way of coping. Because, you know, when you're talking about like eight and nine-year-old children, we're not necessarily, especially during a pandemic, we're not necessarily talking about them wanting to look a certain way. We're talking about like trying to navigate a world that suddenly doesn't make sense. And also a world that's on, that has turned virtual for kids, you know, where they're looking at themselves on a camera. It's so natural. It's like human behavior, right? When you see yourself in the mirror or you see yourself on a camera, where you start being critical. And these, this is true for children as well. Aside from children, I think it's, it's just been hard for so many, so many of us. Yeah, I suspect that that number in children um, has its counterpart in probably every age group because, you know, I think that you're right. I think that, that food becomes a coping mechanism and, um, and a way of navigating really fraught feelings and, and like we have been so disconnected. And like, as I said, you know, food is relationship, like eating is relational. And when we feel cut off, no wonder um, that can very easily get out of balance. You know, while the depression and anxiety rates have increased during that pandemic, but so has loneliness, Mm -hmm. right? People are more by themselves and experiencing disconnection in that way. And when you talk about food being something that is is relational, it, it can be hard when you are on your own and experiencing disconnection with the act of eating because, mm-hmm. you know, let's face it, it can be hard when you're by yourself all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that the there's pretty clear research to mm-hmm. support that sitting down at a table with others to eat our meals does result in a lot of health benefits. Um, So yeah, that loneliness is of course going to be connected to some struggles with eating. You know, I'll just share personally that like I live by myself and I have experienced loneliness at times. And, you know, for someone that's pretty mindful about food, it has also, I've experienced it with food as well. Um, And I've taken some time to think about it and try different ways to shift that in moments of loneliness. And what has been really helpful for me is practicing mindful eating where I stop and I try not to eat in front of a screen. Right. And I plate, I take the time to plate my dish with, with the food beautifully and prepare a meal for myself, right? Or a lot of times I hear people who live by themselves won't take the, mm-hmm. won't make the effort to prepare a meal for themselves because it's too much work for just themselves. And I say, you know what? You deserve it. You should prepare a meal for yourself. And so what I do is I'll prepare a beautiful meal and I'll sit down and I look at the beautiful colors. I'll smell the food. 
I will think about where my food came from, right? And that starts to build that relationship with food again. Things like that where you really kind of pay attention to, you know, this is not just an act by yourself. A lot of people were involved in creating this meal. And when you shine some light on that, it can be so like, whoa, I'm not alone. I mean, what you just said just really sparks, again, a connection to our faith tradition, because there's also an expression that um, that we say in our church, which is that we never pray alone. Like even when you're by yourself, you're always in prayer connecting to this great cloud of witnesses, to this um, circle of prayer and faith that's gone before us, that is you know connecting with us spiritually, even if we can't see them, and that you know, when we're opening our hearts to God, God is opening God's heart to us. And I, I think you're absolutely right that in that same vein, like, we never actually pray alone, we never actually eat alone. Because, again, our food, however we slice it, connects us physically. And, and we can also make that choice for food to connect us spiritually as well to that whole circle of life in which we ourselves live. I, I love that term, mindful eating. The term I've really landed on is joyful eating because to me that, that word joyful is an embodiment of, of that relationship, that relationship that, that we can't escape and that we're invited to embrace that maybe this life is actually about learning to embrace that relationship. So, you know, when, when we eat with others or when we eat by ourselves, I think that we have an opportunity to, to center ourselves back into that relationship, to acknowledge, to give thanks for that whole, that whole circle of life that allows me to, to have this beautiful food and to, to savor this beautiful food as a gift, not a, not a curse, not a disappointment, not a place of shame. And also this can be done whether you're eating the cookie or eating an apple. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We asked our fellow CPG employees about ways they approach their relationship with food and self-care from a place that is affirming and positive rather than critical, diminishing, or comes from a place of insufficiency. Here are some of the responses they gave us. As a person who has struggled with my weight my entire life, I have never loved my body or the skin I'm in. Seeing my mother and father have their own body issues and deal with them in unhealthy ways for my entire life, I've had to sit with myself and say, is this who I want to be? The answer, of course, is no. While I'm doing things to improve my health, and that has happened to result in me losing some weight, for me, the positive thing that I have chosen to focus on for my own mental and physical health is... Who do I want to be today, not who do I wish I looked like today? Today, I am a valued person in society who danced along with Richard Simmons and sweated to the oldies. Today, I am a wife who loves her husband and who is loved by her husband. 
I am a woman who styled her bangs perfectly against every odd this morning. I am a person who wants to be valued by others, but won't allow that to make me dependent on others for validation. I am worth eating until I am full, not overfull. My value does not decrease because I had a cupcake or because I had a banana instead of a cupcake. I am worth the space I take up simply because I am here. I am worth the space I take up in this and every moment. I may not truly feel that way every day, but I strive to that end. I try to remember that it is about health, not about the way I look. When I eat certain things, I feel more healthy. When I am active, I feel more healthy, more strong and able to do the things I love to do. I try not to compare my body to others, and when those thoughts do come up, I think about the ways I am taking care of myself, even when my thighs are flabby or I have loose skin on my neck. As we kind of work towards um, wrapping up this conversation, which I've enjoyed so much, I was wondering, you know, do you have some strategies that have worked for you? If someone is looking to change the way they think about food and self-care, where do you, where would you suggest they start? So I have a lot of little things that I do that help me to stay connected. I, uh, that help me push back against that um, narrative about food and eating that that it's just about me that helps me stay grounded in that relationship. I, I wouldn't want any of your listeners to think that any of these strategies that work for me are like prescriptive that you know everybody has to do all of them but for me a combination of these strategies really add up to that joyful relationship with food. So there are things that I do, like I, when I buy my groceries, I put a few extra items in the cart for the local food bank. Mm. When I have dessert, I have really good dessert. And for me, that means either locally made or, um, or homemade. Instead of driving around town to do my errands or to go to work, I walk or I take my bike. And so I build exercise into my daily routine in a small way that also is about me trying to care for the world around me. I've been part of community-supported agriculture programs. Um, I've been part of faith communities that have community gardens. I am part of a dinner club with a circle of friends where we try out and share recipes once a month. A, a big part of of my strategy around around staying well in my relationship with food, and again, this is something that never gets named, but for me, it's of central importance. Is that I'm part of a faith community, and that's huge for me in terms of remembering where this starts and what this is about. Because in our faith tradition. Our worship is about gathering around God's table. And that is this ongoing call back to to that message of how I'm beautiful and loved and how we're beautiful and we're loved and that that God actually wants us to know that. 
you know, along that line, I, I will say also that if you are feeling alone right now in this, you know, whether you're around people or not, you're feeling alone in this struggle with developing a more balanced relationship with food that feels connected, there are so many resources through the church pension group that can help. Um, the Cigna Employee Assistance Program has a therapy benefit and a behavioral health benefit that can be so helpful um, if you are working towards making some change in this area. And I'd encourage you to look into that and we'll put that in the show notes as well. We also have a nutrition course um, that I have worked on on CPG's e-learning center. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about that, that you, you can check that out. I'll also share some of the ones that I, I really like. Just notice when you're looking at someone's appearance, whether that's their physical appearance or, you know, their weight or, or something about them that's sparking judgment. And, and notice where that's coming from. What's that message that you've been telling yourself? And notice what the, what the message is is that you're sending them, whether it's a message of judgment or criticism, you might try to shift the narrative to a message of compassion and kindness and appreciation. So this brings us to the practice of gratitude, finding something to be grateful for, whether it's the food that you're eating, to the way you, your body functions on a daily basis to sustain you, to the people around you. Lastly, something that I think is really helpful is to journal your emotions around food and self-care in your body and, and kind of like look at, at what words are coming up when you write things down about what you're experiencing. Where do they come from? Write down where these, these words or beliefs may be coming from. And then maybe even write down how you can shift the narrative because the process of writing can be so significant in healing when we're looking to make a change. You know, I, I really just want to thank you so much for being here, Martha. This has been such a great conversation and hopefully a helpful conversation for our listeners. I know it was helpful for me, so thank you. Thank you so much. I, um, I'm really grateful for the wisdom and insight that that you open up for this conversation, which, you know, is pretty um, emotionally charged for people. And um, I, I feel like we could, you know, talk for several more days about all of this. <laughs> Thanks, Martha. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Theme music for our podcast is by Fran McKendry. Be sure to visit the e-learning library and learning center on cpg.org for wellness resources. And please join us again for Choose Well. This material is not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. CPG does not provide any healthcare services and therefore cannot guarantee any results or outcomes. Always seek the advice of a healthcare professional with any questions about your personal healthcare, including diet and exercise. The views and opinions expressed by guests of Choose Well are their own and do not represent the views and opinions of the Church Pension Fund or its affiliates, collectively the Church Pension Group.
Neither the Church Pension Fund nor any of its affiliates, collectively, CPG, is responsible for the content, performance, or security of any website referenced herein that is outside the www.cpg.org domain or that is not otherwise associated with a CPG entity. You've been listening to Choose Well from the Church Pension Group, 